Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMV. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Hey, it's a little bit after the hour. Good morning, everyone. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. My name is Joseph Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm with Babak Gavari today. Bobby Gavari, he's a certified financial planner. He is a director of our institutional advisory here at Pure Financial Advisors. Uh, thanks for tuning in over the next couple of hours. Uh, we're talking markets. We're talking taxes. We're talking uh, retirement planning. Uh, and everything in between. We have Larry Swedrow coming on board. If you haven't heard Larry Swedrow, I would stick around. <sighs> Larry's written, I don't know, 13, 14 um, investment books. A lot of books. And uh, he's going to give us some perspective on the second or third quarter mm-hmm. on what to anticipate, how should we invest, and kind of give us a brief update of uh, markets past. Right. So just finished up the second quarter. Markets where not, not so bad, right? U.S. ended up up uh, what two two and a half percent? Yeah, t- yeah, two point six three to be exact. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, in international markets. So let's take a look at this in perspective, folks. Is that international markets over the last quarter have been a little bit turbulent, to, to say the least? Oh yeah, right. And um, if you take a look at the numbers, they're only down one percent for the quarter. Especially after that whole Brexit incident and every th- everyone, you know, the media, hey, it's, the world's going to collapse, right? Market took a dip and rebounded by the end of the quarter. So it, it's interesting how news and media and everything else um, makes people react. And if you take a look at kind of globally, uh, it's a very interesting time. We have negative interest rates in a lot of different countries. We have all-time low interest rates here in the U.S. And you look at the, what the, the 30-year Treasury you know, it was about two and a half, something like that. The, mm-hmm. the, the yielding, ten, yeah, right. The 10 year is one and a half, something like that. Yeah, it's really, really low. So uh, check out mortgage rates too. We'll see those um, probably dip a little bit. So maybe it's a good time to refinance. Uh, so there's all sorts of different positive things that you can potentially do. The job reports came out on Friday. Um, over 200,000 um, plus jobs. When the month before they corrected, it was like 11,000, something crazy. Wow. So it was the biggest increase in jobs data. Uh, in quite some time. And I think we're seeing that uh, reflected in market performance recently. Well, what did the markets do on Friday? I will tell you in just a second here. It was up, I don't know, it was up a couple hundred points in the morning. That's, yeah, 250? I'll take that. Something like that? I will take that. Um, but I think, unfortunately, a lot of people bet against what, what a couple of weeks ago with the whole British exit when the markets you know, fell about six, 700 points. That, uh, and then on Monday again, it fell a couple hundred points. Sure. And so, you know, a couple of days like that with that much volatility tends to freak people out a little bit. And I think the media perpetuates that, right? What sells airtime better than fear? Oh, buy this, sell that, do this. And, uh, you know, it's a bunch of noise. I received an email um, from a podcast listener. I believe he lives in Florida. And it was an interesting email. It was like, hey, did you bet against the bre- uh, Brexit? Is that right? Brexit. Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> I got close, a, close I got, enough. I got a Minnesota tongue. It's fat. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, bet against it. What do you, you know? And he's like, yeah, my broker, you know, bet against it. And it's like, I don't know what you, yeah, what, what does what that you, even mean? Right. So I guess when the markets fell on Friday, right, went to cash and shorted the market. 
And so I guess they made a little bit of money on Monday. Uh, but then if you go out through the you know the week and then yeah, now another week crushed. later, you know it's over the, the, the Dow's above eighteen thousand, and so it, it's moves like that I think creates buzz is sure. that hey we believe that this is going to happen because of X Y and Z and it all sounds very intelligent sure when someone tries to predict, uh, but the markets are so unpredictable and, and and I mean that's the thing today's market price reflects all available information exactly and I was trying to explain that the other week and I probably did a very poor job doing it because it's already known it's priced in it's priced in and so if you take a look at all right well tomorrow or Monday when the markets open is it better news right. or worse news the same news or different news that's what drives future performance you know I, I'll use um, what Volkswagen I think is a great example nobody knew they were cheating on their emissions test, right? That information becomes public. Well, except for Volkswagen. Exactly. <laughs> the outside public, right? So you can't trade on that unless you know it. That information comes out, earnings drop, the stock price reflects it. It's, it's just too difficult to predict. Well, yeah. Well, if you know it, you could trade on it, but then that's insider trading. And then you're what? Different type of retirement there? It could be if you get caught. <laughs> right. right? It's, so it's jail time. <laughs> so that's not what we're going to talk about on this show today. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I got into this business um, in 1998. And what I felt my job was, was to basically scour the universe of investments and try to pick managers right that had a good track record sure and then you say all right well these individuals are smart you know and that they understand what's going on in markets you know you know i'm right out of college right 25 years old it's like okay well here what well you know what, the, what what's my job really what's what am i what am i here for sure it's basically that i thought is our job was to, to to predict the future is that all right well here let's because i love finance i love the numbers so let's read and study and, and and get involved with all of this and then we can see trends and then those trends will have a predictive future value of a particular you know um, advice a right? lot of people think that a lot of people think that and i think it's i think some people potentially can do that sure right? and i'm not saying that people can't it's just the the probability of them getting it right over a long period of time with high success is very, very low. It, it, exactly. I mean, investing is all about probabilities and increasing your odds of success. I mean, there's plenty of ma managers. Bill Miller ran that Leg Mason Value Fund and outperformed the S&P for 15 years in a row. One year of underperformance and wiped it out. Yeah, but if you take a look at mutual funds and the lack of transparency in mutual funds, and if you're comparing it to a benchmark of the S&P, you don't necessarily know what asset classes are stocks are in that particular mutual fund. That's absolutely correct. Because if, let's say, that I'm a mutual fund manager, right, and I don't necessarily have to disclose what I have, and, and there's a lot of wiggle room within mutual funds. And so I could be a large cap growth fund, and I'm buying small caps within the overall mutual fund. Right, and then you show outperformance. And, I'm, and, I'm, and, and <laughs> I'm comparing it to the S&P 500. Well, small companies, I think you all know that small companies have more risk than large companies. Because of that risk factor, you will have to expect a higher rate of return because you're taking more risk. If you were going to get the exact same return for a small company versus a large company, no one would ever take the risk to buy a small company. Why would you take the risk if you weren't going to get compensated for it? I think that's spot on. And it's interesting. You know, a lot of uh, managers are able to cheat in that way and show, quote, alpha because they're comparing to the wrong benchmark. If you're a small cap manager, 
index yourself to the small cap index, right? So no, that, right. I think well, and then you have to take a look at the risk adjusted return, and then now you get in the weeds, mm-hmm. and then it's like with with an average consumer, then you're saying, all right, well, what's the risk adjusted return? Well, I, most people don't even know what that means, <laughs> right. because you could say, well, here's what this mutual fund did, right? And then here's let's compare it to a benchmark, and that benchmark is the Standard and Poor's 500, because everyone is familiar with the Standard and Poor's 500. Well, the Standard and Poor's 500 is just top 500 large companies here in the U.S. That mutual fund manager could have bought emerging market stocks. Sure. Right? They, they could have bought, uh, oh, who knows? And so that's driving performance, either up or down. It's creating more risk in the overall portfolio. If you have more risk in the portfolio, over the long term, you should outpace something that has lesser risk. And I think one of the dangers with that is, is as an individual, when you're creating your asset allocation, you have specific building blocks to, to, to identify a level of risk and return. When the managers are creating style drift, if it's, you thought it was a U.S. manager and now they're investing internationally in emerging markets, you're not aware of that risk and now there's more risk in your portfolio than, than you asked for. Right. And so controlling risk in, is one of the most important things that you can possibly do in regards to your overall retirement. Because most of you want to protect your money. You want to minimize your risk. And having a rock solid game plan to transform your savings into income in retirement is more than just trying to pick a hot stock or trying to pick a hot manager. It's about having a financial plan. It's about, it's about having a strategy. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. My name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm with Bobby Gavari. He's a certified financial planner as well. Uh, he's the director of institutional advisory here at Pure Financial Advisors. If you haven't gone to our website, uh, there's a lot of information. Bobby and I, we just did the second quarter market update. So we did the first one. <laughs> It's awful. We have these, so we're trying to get a lot more videos, right? Because I think people it's interactive, like, yeah, right. Like to watch videos and things like that. And so we have this AV guy at the firm, and oh, not masterpiece theater. What am I thinking of? Yeah, mystery science theater, right? It was on Comedy Central. So Bobby and I, we have all the numbers there. I mean, we're going into like deep deep market data. We have, you know, what happened in Argentina and Peru, Brazil, Brazil. Uh, we have, we have the data. So we're going through our first quarter market update. Right. And I said, well, why don't we videotape it? And then, so we have the big screen, right. And then, so we can just kind of go through the numbers. It'll be interactive. So we can kind of talk to each other. We can, you know, explain right. things. And so people can see a see face faces, when, sure. when it comes to, you know, this really dry market data, that's the plan. So we put together the presentation and so we set it up and, it, and it's all numbers. Right. So it's not I can we can't really go off the cuff. I, I'm not going to memorize thousands of right. countries rates of return. You got to look at the data. You have to look at the data. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, when we go, let's talk to the camera. And then when we go to the data, then just go to the screen so we can. So it doesn't look like we're just sitting there reading the data, which most people would assume that we are. Right. And then so there's a screen there. Oh, it's so we get the final take. It was cozy. Oh, it was and, co- oh, oh, you guys. It was awesome. It killed it. We looked at, looked at it. It was the most ridiculous thing that you've ever seen in your life. I've never sat so close to you before. Yeah, and then it looked like you wanted to kiss me at some point. Well, yeah. You were very intrigued. You're a handsome man. So, um, so yeah, and it was, I think it, we made 13 minutes. So it's on YouTube. There's, I don't know, a thousand people viewed it 
and I think the longest view was four minutes. <laughs> so, so, so second, trim it down. Yeah, yeah, trim it so down. So second quarter, right? We we tried to trim it down to like six minutes. I'm not sure what 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 Where the end ended, result yeah. was. So we did it on Friday. Um, so that will come out soon. Uh, Bobby Gavari, if you he's been on the show many times before, uh, but he, he worked on the institutional side of finance. Uh, worked for a company called Dimensional Fund Advisors (DFA) uh, for a decade and helping individual uh, advisory firms, uh, not necessarily on the, the individual side, but he worked with larger firms to help them uh, you know, create portfolios and really understand how markets work. So uh, Bobby's been with our firm, Pure Financial Advisors, now for the last um, few years, what, three years now? Three years, yeah. Uh, time flies, man. It's crazy. And so he's a real true asset uh, t- to our firm when it comes getting into the weeds and market data. Uh, but being able to explain it in such a way that you actually can understand what the heck is going on. Because I think when you talk about markets, it can be, it, it's, if you really talk about markets, it's boring. Sure. But I think the industry itself has made it sexy and exciting. That's what sells. To, to gather assets sure. in a sense, right? Buy this, sell that. Dude, here's the top 10 stocks to make you a fortune. Yeah, it sells. So, uh, but yeah, check it out if you like. Um, it will be up on our website probably by Monday, Monday or Tuesday. We'll see how um, our, in, in, if it looks like scientific master theater piece or whatever that. <laughs> Don't hold it against us. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're learning. Yeah. <laughs> we have the data, so don't judge us on what the, production. The, what the production looks like. I'm not the cameraman, I'm just the guy behind the guy. So, uh, hey, I want to dive in a little bit later in the show. There's <clears throat> some emails that you guys send us. And uh, a bunch of different questions in regards to like 529 plans, 401k plans, rollovers, taxes, and things like that. So I'll make sure I'll get to those emails. Uh, if you ever want to email the show, you can always go to info uh, at purefinancial.com, info at purefinancial.com. If you're not familiar with our firm, uh, Financial Times just ranked us in the top 300 uh, registered investment advisory firms here in the nation. Uh, so we're really proud of that. We manage uh, $1.4 billion of client assets. Um, and we're a fiduciary. That's kind of the buzzword that you've been hearing around. Uh, and we've been a fiduciary 100% of the time. So anytime you work with an advisor, make sure that you get that in writing, that they will act as a fiduciary 100% of the time because they might act as a fiduciary in one aspect of the meeting and then they flip a hat and then they're um, a commissioned salesperson on the other side. And if that's what you want to work with, that's fine. Just understand um, what you're getting and um, make sure it's disclosed. So enough about that. I'm kind of burned out on fiduciary <laughs> and Brexit and everything. All the buzz terms. <laughs> everything else that you, you just get, um, that, that you hear. Um, if you haven't heard, Social Security changed a couple of different rules here. So have um, I got this 10 surprising things you don't know about claiming your social security benefits. And there's a lot of different things when it comes to social security that you wanna make sure that you know, uh, because there was something that was called file and suspend and restricted application that went away. However, if you turned 62 uh, before the end of the uh, last year, 1231 of 2015, you can still file a restricted application. Uh, and what all a restricted application means is this, is that there, and the restricted application only means anything to anyone if you're married because there's a spousal benefit 
and then there's your own retirement benefit. And so how the spousal benefit works is that you could take your own benefit or half of your spouse's. Whichever is larger is usually what you're going to take as your retirement benefit. For instance, let's say I'm married and my uh, my wife's benefit is $3,000 a month and my benefit is $1,000 a month. Well, the Social Security Administration will bump my benefit to $1,500. And that won't affect your spouse's benefit. Correct. Right? It won't affect the spouse's benefit. So my spouse would remain at 3000 Mine would go to 1000 to $1,500. So that's half my spouse. So you take yours or half your spouse's, whichever's larger. So what the, the rule or the strategy was, was that if you want to file a restricted application, you would go to the Social Security Administration and say, I don't want to take my own. Right? I want to file a restricted application and just take the spousal benefit. Because maybe in this instance, my benefit is $3,000 a month. Hers is $3,000 a month, right? So it's like, all right, well, why would I want to take the spousal benefit? Well, because this is why. You would say, all right, well, once I reach full retirement age, I would go to Social Security Administration and say, I'm not taking my benefit. I'm going to take the spousal benefit, which is half my spouse's. That's the restricted application. So you're just restricting the application to the spousal benefit. So in this instance, I would create that $1,500 a month of income, and I can let my income or my my own benefit continue to accrue by that 8% per year. Then I would get the $1,500 a month. I'd enjoy that. That's nice. And then when I turn age 70 or some year after my full retirement age, I would turn my own benefit on. Why would I do that? Because I get that 8% delayed retirement credit each year that you wait. So it was a really good strategy for a lot of individuals. Unfortunately, if you didn't turn 62 by the end of last year, it doesn't apply to you. So what does that mean? There's more strategies that you have to take a look at in regards to maximizing the overall benefit. So it gets fairly complicated and I got to take a break. So uh, we will definitely get back to this. But what I want to do is that you'd think that claiming your social security benefits would be probably pretty easy, but it's not. In fact, there's literally thousands of different combinations to claim your benefits. And if you don't get this exactly right, it could cost you tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that kind of money could go a long way in retirement. Now back to your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 AFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, Joe Anderson here, Baba Gavari, uh, Certified Financial Planner, um, is with me today. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Hey, if you haven't caught our podcast, uh, go to Your Money, Your Wealth um, on iTunes. Uh, we run a two-hour show. A lot of you might only get the first hour. So uh, we do have a lot of guests like Larry Swedro. He will be joining us in the second hour. So if you want to catch Larry, uh, go to our uh, podcast, Your Money, Your Wealth, uh, and subscribe. Talking a little bit more about Social Security. We haven't talked about this in uh, some time. And so I want to start not necessarily a quiz, but there's a couple of different questions that we receive. And I want to make sure that you understand all this. Number one, and I'm going to quiz Bobby Gavari. Oh, don't do All right. that. At what age, well, you're a certified financial planner. <laughs> you're not competent. You work for pure I'm, financial I'm advisors. I'm confident. So All right, we'll, let's do it. Let's go. So at, <laughs> so this might be Bobby Gavari's last day. <laughs> at what age can I start getting Social Security? 62 is the earliest you can take Social Security. What is the last day, or what, what is the last... Um, Full retirement is, for most people, about 66 or 67, and the last, uh, essentially, year you can take it or you're forced to take it is 70. 
What's my full retirement age? A lot of people still don't understand what their full retirement age is. Well, did I pass that first question? Yeah, you got it. Okay, all right. So my full retirement age. You got to have a little bit more gusto here, Bobby. <laughs> You're so timid. Full retirement age, 67. It depends on your birthday, but for most folks now, it's probably around 66, 67. And then um, I think still a lot of people don't understand how much Social Security will pay them. So a couple of things to do here. You go to ssa.gov. So go to the Social Security Administration and then go. It will take usually takes about 15 minutes to sign up. You got to log in, right? <clears throat> Get a login. And because they stopped sending out statements, they send them every five years until you turn age 60, I believe. And then they'll start sending them again, I think, every year. Uh, but if you haven't received a statement, I would go to ssa.gov, sign in. And then take a look at, then it'll show what your earnings history is and everything else. And then it'll show you what an estimated benefit's going to be at your full retirement age if you take it early at 62 um, or at uh, the latest is at age 70. And so a lot of you, the younger generation, I think, I, I think people probably that we see that come into our office um, in their 40s or younger, a lot of times they don't want, want to run the analysis with Social, with Security, Social Security in Security. it. Um, and I think you should, because... I think it's a stretch to say Social Security will be completely gone if you're in your 40s or 50s, right? So I think you should run it with Social Security. Right, but I think it, it, it's a conservative way to look at it. But I, for them, um, but then we get political, and I really don't want to get political sure, right. on this show, because a lot of you probably think, oh, no, it's just a you know, lockbox, there's no money in it. And then other of you is like, no, I think... This is where a large portion of my retirement income is going to come from, and so it better be there. Right. There's $2 trillion sitting in the trust fund today. I think by 2037, that's when the trust fund is exhausted. And then what that means to all of us is that there's only enough money in the system uh, to pay about 80%, 79% of um, scheduled benefits. But here's something that I don't understand. What do you think is the largest generation right now, numbers-wise? The baby boomers? That's what most people think, but it's the millennials. Really? And when you look at that, right? So this is where I'm getting a little bit... Well, I, I suppose a lot of millennials are still in college and they're still not working and things like that. But once that age wave... So you have the, the greatest generation, then you have ba the baby boomer generation, then Generation X, Y, and the millennials, I believe. I think, or is Generation Y and, and millennials, millennials the same? Are, they're a little blended. Yeah, I think they're the same, actually. I found that out the other day. They didn't like Y? When, they, they <laughs> when it. millennial sounds better. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that's right now by the numbers, I believe, is the, is the largest generation. So as they go into the workforce, I think, I don't know. They'll start funding I, I would, Social I would, Security? Maybe. I don't know. But w w a couple of different things to consider is that they understand who votes, right? So it's very difficult to get things passed through Social Security. Sure. Uh, they snuck that bill in us last uh, in the Bipartisan Budget Act, right, last year. Mm -hmm. uh, but what they did do is they grandfathered people that were at full retirement age or approaching full retirement age. So when you're in that 60 range, um, you know, they usually don't mess with the benefits. And if there were some uh, claiming strategies at that point, they, they, they keep them. It's the other generations, I guess, that kind of gets hurt, which is unfortunate um, because 
everyone's Social Security's full retirement age was age 65, and now they push that push up to out. 66 right. to 67. So a couple of things that they can do, right? Continue to push out the Social Security. They could, you know, reduce the COLA, which they have done over mm-hmm. the last couple of years, right? So the cost of living adjustments on your overall Social Security benefit. Was there even an a, adjustment last year? No. Right. And... Um, then you have to take a look at, all right, well, maybe the amount of Social Security or FICA tax that we're paying out of our paycheck, right? So we pay up to $118,000 in rough figures. They can raise that limit, right? They could raise it to 150 or something like that, sure. right? So there's different things that they potentially can do. Or it, it, it could be a combination of all of them. Uh, so a couple of things to do is to make sure that you, A, get your overall benefit. But this is your financial plan. Like, th- th- this is your retirement. It's not my retirement. I'm just trying to give information to individuals to say, well, this is what is there. So when you construct your overall plan, you can say, you know what? No, I don't think it's going to be there. Then don't count it. Then you're going to probably need another million bucks in your overall nest egg. Millennials now or people right in their 30s and 40s, they're going to need a couple million dollars, three million bucks, two and a half million bucks uh, to provide themselves with the retirement lifestyle um, is what some statistics say. That's a ton of money. Well, and I think with longevity itself, right? People retire in their 60s and 70s. You got to create your own income if you're living into your 90s, 20, 30 years. That's a very long time. Money's got to grow, so you got to start saving sooner that you can save. The power of compounding. So, little things there. Um, but going back to some of the changes uh, when it comes to Social Security, we talked about the restricted application. So, if you're at 62 years of age. Uh, that's you can still do the restricted application. Now you had to turn full retirement age by April 29th to do file and suspend. You can still suspend your benefits though, which I think most people still don't really understand. So let's say you're already claiming your social security benefits. And then you realize that, hey, maybe you wanna go back to work. Maybe your spouse is making more income, maybe whatever, who knows? You could suspend the benefit. All right. And so you've already taken money from it. You can suspend it. And then once you reach, let's say if you take it at 62, you, t- you collect for a couple of years and then you're like, you know what? I'm bored. I want to go back to work or I want to do something else. Because if you claim your Social Security benefits prior to your full retirement age and you have in- income over about 15,000 bucks, every two dollars that you earn after that, they take a buck back. Right, so it doesn't make a lot of sense to claim your benefits early if you're still working. working. But once you reach your full retirement age, that could be 66 or 67 or somewhere in between, right? Then from there, it's like you can claim your benefits and work, and they're not going to reduce those benefits, they're not going to take any dollars back from you. So, going back to my point, is that maybe you claim benefit at whatever age, and you're thinking, you know what. I'm probably going to live a lot longer. I'm really healthy. I want to go back to work. I don't necessarily need this income. You can suspend those benefits. If you're over the full retirement age, those benefits then will continue to accrue by 8% per year. So it might make sense for some of you, or if you took it early and you were made a mistake, right? You potentially can suspend them and have your benefits continue to grow. If your benefits are a lot larger than your spouse's benefits, Right? And you claimed early, right? or you claimed at full retirement age, and you're thinking, hey, we might deplete some of these assets faster than we anticipated. So I have to go back to work and save some more money. 
it might make sense to suspend those benefits because then those benefits are going to continue to accrue by that 8% delayed retirement credit. And then you start claiming them again at age 70, you're going to have a lot higher benefit. And if you predecease your spouse, then your spouse would get the higher of the two benefits. So it's a, an insurance play. Now back to your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner. I'm with uh, Bobby Gabari today. He's a certified financial planner. He's a director of institutional advisory at uh, Pure Financial Advisors. Check us out online, purefinancial.com, purefinancial.com. Uh, CNBC came out with this, Bobby. Uh, you can't feel secure in retirement if you don't have a good idea how much money you'll need, right? That's a fair point. But if you believe a new leg makes in survey, you may have to save far more than you think. Investors surveyed by the global investment management firm said they will require an average of 2.5 million in retirement to enjoy the quality of life they have today. Two and a half million. That's about 2.2 million more than the average balance of 385,000 those investors actually had in 401k and similar retirement plans that That's were surveyed. Frightening. That is frightening. Which might help explain why only 40, so 40% of the 458 investors surveyed said they are very confident in the ability to retire at the age I want to. So 40% said they had, they were very confident. Yet everyone's underfunded. Yeah, but 458, they surveyed 458 wealthy people. The average balance of those was 385,000. They need 2.5 million. A little discrepancy there. A little bit. Right. So here's a quick thing that I want people to do for their overall retirement. I want you to do a dry run through. And this is real quick and easy way to see if you're on track, not on track or what you need to do to get on track. And this will bring more confidence to you, because if you have more confidence, that's always a good thing when it comes to your finances. A, take a look and figure out what is your social security benefits going to be. If you're married, take a look at you and your spouses. Find out what that number is. If you have a pension, right? take a look. What is the pension income going to be? Take some time, figure it out, call the pension people, right? And get your um, estimated benefits, right? It might take a couple of weeks. Right? Don't try to guess at this. They'll give you the document and you can say, hey, I want to give me, um, from 62, 65, 66, or whatever There's age, options, right? And sure. then they'll look at different, you know, they'll look at your service credits. They'll look at, all right, how long have you worked for the company, your age, when you want to retire. And then they'll give you a form and tell you an estimated benefit. If you do have a pension, I would encourage you to do this. Then you look at your social security statements, like I just told you last segment, go to ssa.gov, figure out what a good estimate's going to be for your social security. Add those two together if you do have a pension and figure out what that fixed income's going to be. That's the starting point. That's the starting point, right? Then take a look at all of your investable assets. So I want you to look at your 401k plans, your IRAs, your 403bs, TSPs, 457s, your mutual funds, stocks, bonds, whatever that you have. Add up all of those figures, okay? It's easy to do. You get the statements, take a look at it, put it on a sheet of paper, add them all up. And then I want you to take 4% of that total balance. So let's say you add up all of your balances and you have 100,000 bucks. Take 4% of $100,000, that's four grand, all right? So then you add those two numbers together 
and then that's the maximum income that you can spend. So the four grand plus your fixed income sources. Yes. So you take a look. Let's say you're married. You look at your Social Security benefits for you and your spouse. You take a look at your pensions if you have one for you and your spouse. Maybe you have real estate portfolio. Take a look at the real estate portfolio for you and your spouse. And then maybe all of those dollar figures add up to 50000 bucks. But I have the 100000 so I take 4% of that. That's $4,000. So my max spending is fifty-four grand. So if that is comfortable for you, all right, well then, hey, you're on track. If it's nowhere near what you're spending today, well, then you have some work to do. So I think that's the starting point because then that can put things through the different the asset test. I mean, essentially, you want to see what your shortfall is after all those fixed income sources, right? Will your portfolio be able to supplement the rest of the income you need from your savings? Exactly. So the 4% rule is a decent rule. Rule of thumb, general. When you're looking at planning for retirement, right? Is, but when you start taking distributions, you got to be careful. You just don't want to go blindly and take 4% out of your portfolio. I think that the, the rule is good to see how much money that you need to accumulate. Right. right? Gives you a target. Exactly. So let's say if I wanted to spend $100,000, my fixed income is 50000 And then I look and I add up everything. I got hundred grand. That's 4000 That's fifty four. Well, I'm short forty six grand, right? So, how much money do I need? Well, if you do the math, you need about one point two million, right? One point two five, four percent of that is fifty grand. So then, that will cover that additional fifty thousand dollars shortfall to get you that four hundred thousand dollars income that you're that that you would feel comfortable with or right. whatever. And and that's the number we always hear. What what do you need, right? What's that number you need? And that's how you figure out that calculation. Exactly. And once you do that, I think more people will save more money. Sure. I think they would stop. I mean, we have clients that come into our office. I'm telling you, they have their late 50s. They have 100 grand saved, but they have a Lamborghini. <laughs> right? It's like, well, okay, oh, is the boy. Lamborghini your retirement plan? No, I'm never selling this Lamborghini. All right. Well, you got some work to do. You have high tastes, right? Your mortgage to the hilt. You have nice cars. How are you going to change you, the tires on that Lamborghini? You won't. You won't change the oil, right? And so it's looking at what is more important to me. And I think that if you do some simple steps and say, all right, well, here's what I want to do. Right, sit down. I, I know money's not easy to talk about especially with your spouse because that's where most arguments most fights happen hey you're spending too much we're not saving enough you're not doing this you're not just come together put together a plan it doesn't have to be a big elaborate it's just a sheet of paper this is what we want to accomplish and make sure that you talk with each other on an ongoing basis to make sure that you're on the same page and the same values and the same goals to accomplish whatever that you're trying to accomplish because i you know in my opinion one of the best benefits of planning is now it gives you a roadmap right you know what you need to work towards you guys can both be on the same page you know i need about a million bucks at x amount of time now you can work backwards and say all right from now until retirement i got to save x amount with this growth rate and and now you have a set goal a set path right it's like okay well here then pay yourself first pay yourself first is key save first spend second yeah but most people do the opposite right right? it's like let's spend let's do this and then whatever's left and then whatever's left we save you will figure it out and i know it's tough and i know we're all living paycheck to paycheck there's not enough you know paycheck to last through the month uh but just think what's going to happen in retirement right 
I, I know it's scary. It's it's a, it's a pretty scary thought, and no one wants to think about it or talk about it, so that's why they don't do anything about it. But like you said, it's their retirement, right? you got to pay attention to it. Exactly. So, I mean, it's not my retirement. It's your retirement. So, you know, if you could just imagine, I guess, if your retirement plan was no longer just about this number, right? Or just about your investments. Imagine if you could fill in all the gaps and have all of the answers to a rock-solid retirement game plan that covered everything from A to Z. Imagine what kind of confidence that would bring. 